For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brame. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, everybody? Sam Franco and Chris Brame. It is the crossover podcast right here, 960theref.com. This is episode 60. Three, which is the amount of points that Clemson just put up on Wake Forest. Uh, so uh, watch out for them heading into the playoff. But we've got plenty to get to here on today's episode, Brain. We've got the Braves. Now that they're out of the playoffs, we can kind of wrap that season. Look forward to next season. We'll do that in a little bit. We'll also talk some Georgia football as the Dogs are getting ready for their toughest test so far this season, a trip to LSU to take on the Tigers and Coach O. And uh, we'll also on the back end kind of set up the uh, NLCS and ALCS as those series are indeed set. It'll be Red Sox and Astros in the American League and in the National League. It'll be Brewers and Dodgers. So we'll get to that all coming up in a second. But first and foremost on today's podcast, we officially have to declare that we will not be talking about the Falcons anymore this season. Yeah, I, we tabled them at some point last year, too. Yes. And then they did they, they, you know, they picked it up at the end of the year and started winning and made the playoffs, so we got back on it. But as of right now, the Falcons are 1-4. You've got to honestly say like the, the high end for this team now is like 8-8 eight eight at the best. Yeah. So, oh, that's like ceiling. Yeah, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's just it's unfortunate. They've just been uh, it's injuries. crushed I mean, by injuries. They, yeah. I mean, Arthur Blank said – after the one and four starting that nobody can make excuses or whatever, or we're not making excuses, but you have to with this team. It's not an excuse. Well, should Dan Quinn be worried about that? I wouldn't think so. Although I'm not his biggest fan in general. I think a coach like that is only good if you're winning. And when I say a coach like that, I mean the guy that's got all of the cliches. That's got all the, you know, uh, we're about the ball and it's a brotherhood and all that stuff. That stuff doesn't play if you're losing. No, what you know, the one thing Quinn had done until all the injuries took hold, though, was it seemed like the primary purpose with getting him was like, oh, he was the defensive coordinator in Seattle, Legion of Boom, sort of mold yeah. the defense in that image. And the these last couple of drafts, that's what Atlanta's been doing. And they've gotten better. A fully healthy Falcons defense right now, paired with this offense, they're a Super Bowl contender. No, they might be. They might be four and one instead of one and four. Right. Or you know, I mean, well, they would have lost. They lost the first game anyway. So, right. Yeah. I mean, four and one. But I mean, you lose case, both but. of your starting safeties. I mean, that's really, really hard to recover from, especially in a league that Tom Brady said the other day, this league's all about spacing now. I mean, they're copying college football. Why do you think Sean McVay is so successful and such a hot commodity? Because he's brought that spread-out college style to the NFL. The other day, I heard Will Kane on his show on ESPN Radio talking about how Lincoln Riley would be a good candidate if the Cowboys fired Jason Garrett. I'm like, he's barely been a head coach in college for more than a year. Right, but you know what? (laughs) All these NFL coaches, I mean, there was a story over the summer like there were about a dozen NFL coaching staffs that went to Norman this year to pick his brain about mm-hmm. offense. And you are, you're seeing more and more NFL offenses are starting to look like college. So if you don't have your starting safeties, 
I mean, well, that's and, a huge handicap. Or even like this, you know, ridiculously fast linebacker. And that's what the Falcons Deion defense well, was right. built for. It was like, you know, speed to handle that stuff. And he was perfect at the side-to-side stuff. I yeah. mean, when you talk about being able to kind of not shut down, but curtail teams that like to pass out to the out wide a lot. He was really good at stopping those with his lateral speed. Or, you know, that's one of the reasons I guess the Falcons gave up a lot of, you know, catches to running backs is because it was sort of by design. Mm-hmm. And then you had Deion Jones to go and snuff it out. Absolutely. But you don't have that now. So with the passing influence that's taking over the NFL right now, the Falcons are in a bad way. So I, when, when Arthur Blank says stuff about excuses, it's like, I get that as an owner, you're going to say stuff like that, but I don't think any of this is an excuse. I mean, you tell me any team in the NFL that can lose both starting safeties, a pro, and one of them being a Pro Bowl safety, uh, you have a Pro Bowl middle linebacker that's probably one of the top five linebackers in the NFL right now. Tell me any team that can survive that. None. You don't have the luxury of having a, a roster as deep as a college roster. I mean, look at what Georgia's been able to do. Andrew On the Thomas, offensive line. Yeah, Andrew Thomas gets hurt, Cade Mays goes and plays over there. Uh, ben Cleveland gets hurt. Cade Mays goes and plays over there. I mean, you've got, you know, you got a five-star elite player there that then is, you know, when Cade Mays was playing left tackle for Georgia, he was better than any of the left tackles on the teams Georgia was playing as a uh, five-star freshman. And no, no NFL team is going to be able to do that. No, that was the roster uh, size that NFL teams have. Exactly. So I, I think that again, it's not really an excuse of the Falcons. But look. We've already lied here, Bram, because we said we weren't going to talk about the Falcons, and we just did. Yeah. But but this is this is it. You know, we're we're slashing the Falcons. We have too much other stuff to talk about with Georgia doing as well as they are, and uh, with some other things as well. Like I said, we'll get to kind of wrapping up the Braves and some baseball here in a little bit. But this Saturday, Tiger Stadium, Baton Rouge, it's on the eights. The Dogs won in Baton Rouge in '78. They won in Baton Rouge in '98. They won in Baton Rouge in 2008, and this year just so happens to be 2018. So let's hope that that mojo sticks around a little bit. And we really should have won in Baton Rouge in 2003, which might have changed the course of history because mm-hmm. then Ole Miss would have been in the SEC championship game that year and not LSU. But, um, you know, and Georgia might have won another SEC championship that year, and then who knows what the trajectory of Nick Saban is from that, uh, from that point. But this is... I, this is a fun week, and because it's for the first time all year, like I, I think Georgia could lose. I, this is the first game this year I think Georgia's got a chance to lose, and at least, at least it makes it fun to kind of analyze and pick the two teams apart. Now, do I think Georgia will lose? No, I, I think was going to say when you say chance, it's not a big chance, right? I mean, Georgia's. I think the they're the better team. They've got the better coach. Yeah, I mean, they're going on the road to a hostile environment. But, yeah, did, did you think Georgia could lose to South Carolina? No. Missouri? No. Tennessee? Vanderbilt? No. No. But could they lose Saturday? I mean, could would it shock you Saturday if Georgia didn't win? It wouldn't shock me, but it would. It certainly wouldn't be one of those where I was like, yeah, I totally saw that coming. You know what I mean? It, it wouldn't be shocking, but I, I'd probably leave being like, yeah, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Well, here's the good news. On Sunday, you wake up and you hit the new national championship future on Georgia, which will then be better than it is right now if Georgia loses. You wait for that first loss and then then get, take the dogs at whatever new number there is there. Well, hey, we're recording this on Wednesday. By this time tomorrow, which will be Thursday, I'll be on the road to uh, New Orleans. I'm making a pit stop in, in uh, Biloxi. 
at the uh, new sports book at the Beau Rivage. There you go. So uh, I may have to place a little future action on UGA when I get there. Well, or do it Sunday do coming it back, back if Georgia loses. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, I am uh, definitely going to uh, – that's the plan is uh, put the bets down on Thursday. Then when I'm driving back on Sunday, I'll have plenty of tickets to go cash in. I mean, here's like the thing about the game. It's um, – I, I think Georgia's one of maybe – what at most five teams that could win the national championship this year and that's not going to my opinion's not going to change if Georgia loses on Sunday what's the play what's the play for you uh, lay in the seven and a half which is what it is right now with the dogs or just money lining Georgia straight up to win I haven't really decided about that yet. <laughs> You're not giving that one away just it's yet? It's too early to call that. I, I still got to like <laughs> pick it apart some but I don't know my early lean would be to uh to lay the the seven, seven and a half. half. Yeah. yeah, I think Georgia can cover. That's the thing. When when you get lines, that's I would really like for it to be six and a half. If it were well, six sure. and a half, that would be all day long and then and twice on Sunday uh, in terms of taking that one to the bank. Uh, but you know, we don't always get what we want. It was eight to start, so at least it's come down a little bit then. It went from eight to seven to now seven and a half. So we'll see where it is tomorrow, and we'll see where it is into the rest of the week leading up to the game. But if you look at what ESPN has their, uh, what is it, the uh, football power index, Georgia has a 73.9% chance to win this game. So, and that's pretty big over LSU. Like if you're saying Georgia has a seven, almost a 75% chance to win in Tiger Stadium, that, that's almost, that's almost kind of shocking. Yeah, right and that's probably, I mean, that's reflective of right around where the that number is and even where the money line is right now for Georgia would suggest about a – you know, that 75% chance of, of winning the game. You know, I've been saying all week, like when you look at, at LSU and just the the thought of the, the hostile road atmosphere in Tiger Stadium, they have, uh, I mean, they're only covering about 50% of their games there. And they lost a, a year ago there to Troy, but they did also beat Auburn there at home last season. So, you know, it's kind of that that helter-skelter with LSU is, you know, that they are good enough to just show up on any Saturday because they got players and they've got talent to beat just about anybody. But you also feel like they're still one of those teams that could also just lay an egg at a moment when you don't expect it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just think that with uh, this game right now, there, there's, you know, a couple of different things to, I guess, concern yourself with. Would you agree in with the statement that Joe Burrow is, is in terms of, I guess – I don't know if he's better than Mettenberger or not, but he's certainly one of the more consistent quarterbacks they've had in a long time. Well, the one thing he hadn't done until last Saturday was turn the ball over. Right. And then he ends up, he throws two picks, and I think they fumbled once too. But here's what Florida did to him, that at this point this season, Georgia has no sh- shown no signs of being able to do. They sacked him five times and pressured him another eight. One stat I read earlier this week was that he's been pressured on 30% of his dropbacks this season. And, you know, I mean, Georgia just is that we have not generated a pass rush. In fact, our adjusted sack rate this season ranks, hundred and I think, 124th in the country. So, you know, he's a quarterback that's faced some pressure this season, faced a lot of it last week against Florida, which led to him throwing a couple of interceptions. But outside of DeAndre Walker, we don't have anybody that's really rushed the passer this year. No, and uh, it's, it's been somewhat concerning. So hopefully the dogs can get some pressure on Burrow in Baton Rouge. The other thing, you know, I've been talking to a couple different people about this, and and there seems to be a general consensus that, look, LSU's got Greedy Williams, and and he's a very good defensive back, but when you have as many different receivers and as many different ways of attacking a defense as Georgia has, I mean, yeah, Greedy Williams might be able to scheme, you know, Terry Godwin out of the game, 
but you've got a lot of other options outside of that. And outside of Greedy Williams, you don't really talk that much about the LSU secondary. No, but he has been good. So, I mean, he's, there's a chance he might take someone out. But to your point, let's just say he's on Hardman. He follows Hardman everywhere. Then there's Godwin, who looks like maybe he's back to, to being 100% now. Um, you know, you've got Holloman. George actually worked the tight ends into the mix last week, at least in the passing game. So, yeah, I mean, there's one guy maybe he can shut down. And so far this season, when you look at his numbers, I think he's only given up like 10 completions in 28 attempts that have gone his way, and he's got a couple of interceptions too. So, uh, look, he and DeAndre Baker are the two all-SEC cornerbacks uh, right now. And, you know, it might be on Saturday. We, you just aren't even aware that Greedy Williams plays for LSU because Georgia's not even throwing to whatever the side of the field he's on. It's like the last two games – like, you haven't really noticed DeAndre Baker a whole lot. Like, those Tennessee and, uh, and Vandy really haven't, you know, thrown a lot of passes in his direction. No, they have not. And uh, that would make sense. I mean, you, you know, you have these lockdown corners. You don't want to throw it their way. But uh, outside of that, I mean, LSU's got some good linebackers. Uh, they're a, a big defensive front, and they are another team that Kirby even talked about as well. Uh, they just have another enormous offensive line. Yeah, the uh, – the one uh, another guy for them on defense is that Devin White, who is he is. I'll just say he's Roquan Smith S. That's who it is. Yeah. In that he, um, you know, there'll be a play that looks like oh that's going to pick up a decent chunk of yardage, Speed. and then yeah, and then he comes out of nowhere and stops it right there. And those are the types of plays that Roquan made, and that's the type of player that he is for uh, for LSU too. Man, well, I think he made like 140 tackles or something last year. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. If you have a guy that can do that and, and provide that much, uh, I guess, work rate or production on defense, you're obviously going to uh, be pretty successful. But I, I think the main thing when it comes to this game, because talent-wise, when you stack up the two rosters, Georgia's better. And that that's not rocket science or that's not a hot take or anything. It's just fact. And I think that the crowd and, and that environment, that's probably – the biggest thing Georgia has to go up against because I'm, I'm not scared about an Ed Orgeron team, a, a Steve Insminger offensive coach team. A, I'm not really petrified of that. I mean, Dave Aranda is a really good defensive coordinator, but I just don't think they have the personnel to consistently stop Georgia over 60 minutes, particularly when Georgia's so good at coming out in the second half and stomping on teams. Yeah, it is the it is the best defense Georgia will have faced to this point, right. but as far as offenses go, uh, it's it, it's not better than Missouri's. No. In fact, I think it, it, it's our, it it's might be about the, on par with South Carolina. It might you? be. I mean, it might actually it might be the worst offense we've faced. I mean, Vanderbilt's offense right now has been better than uh, – than LSU's has been. And, I mean, Tennessee's offense has actually been okay this year. So, I mean, it's – you know, you could – I mean, you could make a case it's the it's down at the bottom, but it's definitely not the best one we face. But it will be the best defense that Georgia's seen. And that's the thing. You mentioned it when they went up against the defense that was somewhat formidable in Florida, or at least the defense that's got good talent on it. Burrow started turning the ball over, and that's exactly what Georgia's going to want to do and, and force him into some bad mistakes coming up on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, what Georgia's got to minimize, too, because the way they beat Auburn, though, and Auburn's I mean, Auburn's the best defense they've uh, they've played, and Auburn still is arguably maybe the best defense in the SEC. Uh, but And Burrow was like, at one point in that game, I think going into the fourth quarter, he was 6-for-20 passing, and then all of a sudden they threw that 75-yard touchdown pass. Uh, I don't remember the exact yardage of it, but it was a long touchdown pass. It just kind of came out of nowhere. 
And I mean that's but that's been one thing Georgia's defense has been really good at preventing this year. Teams have moved the ball on Georgia. Vanderbilt did last week, but Georgia's been good defensively at finishing drives and and uh, preventing touchdowns from being scored or even just any points at all from being scored. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I for one think Georgia's going to go over to Baton Rouge and. You know, it could be a game where it's a little slow to start, but I think once that second half hits and Georgia has the opportunity to, to put the clamps down, they will. Uh, Georgia favored by seven and a half. I think they probably win by, I would say, two scores, whether that's 13 or 14. I think that's what I'd be comfortable with. I don't know. I'll say something like, uh, you know, 38 to 21, something like that. Right now, I'm kind of sniffing like Georgia in the upper 20s to low 30s yeah. and LSU around between like 17 and 21 points somewhere in that neck of the woods. Yeah, that sounds about right. So maybe like, I don't know, like a 33 to 13 or 17. Yeah, I don't know that this is going to be one of those games Georgia, you know, goes up there and, and just scores a lot of points. And scores a ton. I mean, yeah. keep in mind the Missouri game, George only scored 29 offensively because there were the two knots. But then again, because of the two knots, there also was, you know, Georgia was about to get the ball back on a punt. And instead of that, the punt was blocked and we returned it for a touchdown. So you're kind of, you're erasing a possession there. But, you know, on the road at Missouri, Georgia scored 29. I guess at South Carolina, it was 34 because there mm -hmm. was one non-offensive touchdown in that game too. So, you know, if you're looking at 29, 34 points against those defenses on the road, I mean, I would think that, you know, that'd be about the best-case scenario against LSU on the road, too. Yeah, exactly. So, again, Georgia, big test coming up in Baton Rouge, but both of us think they will pass it. And uh, hopefully uh, that's with flying colors. All right, we'll uh, switch gears here and talk about a team just eliminated from the MLB postseason. I am, of course, talking about the Atlanta Braves. And they put up a really spirited effort, in the, especially in that Game 3 uh, the first ever playoff game at SunTrust Park. Uh, Ronald Acuna hits the grand slam. You get a homer from Freddie Freeman, and then they just kind of hold on for dear life with the bullpen there. But one thing that this series proved beyond a shadow of a doubt is that the Braves, despite making the playoffs, they beat up on a bad division, and they're nowhere close to the level of the Dodgers, you know, the, the Red Sox, the Astros, those kind of teams. And if they want to get on that level, it's going to take Liberty Media – you know, putting a little cash up because they're going to have to spend some money. I don't know exactly what that's on. We've heard a lot of rumors about who they may be interested in, maybe bringing back a Craig Kimbrell. I don't think a closer should be priority number one. I, st I think that, look, Kimbrell, you're going to have to pay that guy a lot of money if you bring him back. I think you need a big bat in the middle of the lineup, and you absolutely need a number one starter because, bottom line, the Braves just don't have that. They don't have that guy that not only – can go out there and you're confident in, but the guy that sends a message to the other clubhouse that, you know, a Kershaw or a sale or, and those guys aren't, or, or they're not a dime a dozen. You know, you have to go out there and find them. And the Braves have a lot of young guys that maybe could turn into that, but since they don't have it right now, you got to go spend money. Yeah, I agree. Um, but right now the rotation, what are we thinking? It'll be uh, it, not in the, necessarily this order, but Fulton Evich will be in the rotation Soroka next definitely year. be back. Soroka, Newcomb. I would think so. Uh, Tehran's gone. If he's not gone, then he's either way down the order or in the bullpen. Yeah, I mean Tehran was on the the roster for this playoff he pitched series. One inning. It didn't. Yeah, he made he made one inning. That's it. So that I was yeah, when it was six to two Dodgers in game. Four. That's what I'm saying. So he doesn't really have a future with the team. I don't know what the the future of Gosman is. I don't know. 
I think Gosman is back because he's under team control for a couple of years. And he could be a fourth or fifth. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not putting him anywhere higher than that. But I think here's the thing about Fultonevich. I'm not as sold as a lot of people are on him. He had a pretty good performance there in his uh, his last game, game four of the series against the Dodgers. But if you look at his career, especially the last two years, he was 13-10 and 10 this year, 10-13 and 13 the year before. If that's a guy you're talking about up near the top of your rotation, a, a number one, maybe a number two, that's kind of – I mean, he, he's he's at a Julio Tehran-type crossroads right now. I yeah. think that's the player that I had and, – and it's funny, Dave and I were kind of not arguing about this on the morning show, but he's he's – always been a big supporter of Fultonevich and I want the guy to be successful but he is he's at that crossroads are you know Julio Tehran when he hit it it's like okay are you a number one or not well he took the road that was not and he's not a number one for Fultonevich it's the stuff's there but it's the consistency he's got to be able to consistently get people out he's got to limit the walks and he's got to last longer in games those are three things that have to happen if he's going to make that next step and I don't know if he's going to do it or not. So I'm not ready to go ahead and crown Fultonevich just yet. No, I mean, Tehran's a good comparison because Tehran was an okay pitcher, but for the Braves for the last however many number of years, he's kind of entered as like he's the number one guy in the rotation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't think Atlanta can move forward thinking based off of this season that Fultonevich is a guy that's going to be their ace at the top of the mm-hmm. rotation. As a four or five, he'll be perfect. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, Atlanta needs to hope that somebody like Soroka turns into it if they can't go out on the market this year and get somebody in, in free agency that one of these guys that's up and coming can eventually be. I guess, I mean, Tuki Toussaint's got a shot at the rotation. I think, I think that's a guy, too, because he's got nasty stuff. I mean, obviously he's super young, and that's the thing. The Braves are super young. They need not only a number one, they need a number one that is a veteran that can come in – and be that linchpin because it's it's just a fool's errand up most of the time to trust these super young arms being able to come in and be dominant right off the bat. Yeah, but uh, really, when you look at the series of the Dodgers, the two big things were the, I mean, the Dodgers bench was the Braves bench was horrible. super deep, yeah. super deep. It was I mean, the Braves bench the the best. I mean, they brought in a former World Series MVP and David Freeze to come in. And get that uh, basically that game winning. He got a big hit, and yeah. they had Matt Kemp on the bench too. The Braves' best pinch hitter was whichever catcher wasn't playing that yeah, game. Yeah, Kurt Suzuki did have a big, uh, I guess a bit in Game Four. He drove in the two runs that gave them the two one lead there for a little right. bit. Right. So it, because of that, Atlanta had to carry a. Uh, they basically had a twenty four man roster because there was that emergency catcher Rivera who wasn't right. who didn't play. And he wasn't going to unless it was an emergency. And then the bullpen was the is the other rub there too. One another big thing is the Braves. It seems like almost more than any team over the last gosh since you know 1990, they've been extremely scared to deal prospects. They're not a team that they've done it a few times. And look, obviously the one with a uh, Mark Teixeira blew up in your face. That was the probably. If not the worst move, very close to the worst move that John Sherholz ever made as the Braves general manager. So that 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 kind of seems like it. I don't know if that's what caused them to be scared or whatever. But you look at what the Dodgers did; they gave up a good bit for Manny Machado. You know what Manny Machado did? Crushed the Braves. And that's the thing. You look at at that directly. You're like, that's why you shouldn't be scared to deal prospects. That's why because I've I've talked about it like this. If you had to give up like four or five, let's let's not even say that. If you had to give up three of your best prospects for a rental of Manny Machado, where you're not guaranteed to have him any more than that rental period, but you're guaranteed to win the World Series, you take that in a heartbeat. Absolutely you do it. Flags fly forever. Exactly. So that's the thing. It's like 
not wanting to take that risk in the Braves, I think even the Braves were at a point this year because a lot of the fans were like, well, you know, we're here and we're happy to be here. And that's how they approached this season. They were happy to be here well, because yeah. they weren't willing to go out there and make a move that could potentially change things. You look at all the teams around them making all these moves, what the Red Sox did, what the Dodgers did. Last year, you go back to what the Astros did, getting Verlander. The Braves had a good team. They, If they had added one or two of those pieces of the deadline, who knows what would have happened. But the way that they were set up, there was no way they were going to beat the Dodgers. And the Dodgers proved that you can't be scared to deal those prospects because you go and get a Manny Machado, and he, you know, I'm not going to say single-handedly eliminated the Braves, but it was darn sure close. Well, he had two big home runs for sure. One in a, what, a 3-1 to one win, and the other one was the nail in the coffin on, game four. Uh, on Monday night in Game 4. But I guess, I, I, you know, the attitude it seemed like this year with the Braves as they were winning all summer was like, well, well we didn't expect to be here. Exactly, so it's we're all, happy to be here. It's all gravy, and, you know, even... You know, even in the aftermath, if you're if you're an Atlanta Braves fan, I mean, what happened on Monday was you just watched the Braves lose yet another postseason series. But it was funny in how like the crowd stayed and actually gave them a standing yeah. ovation afterwards. And that goes to show you that they were just kind of happy to be there, right? Yeah. And so, again, I, I think one thing that goes along with that is be careful what you wish for. Well, and because there's no guarantee that the Braves. What if? Soroka, Tukey, and Fulte all go down in spring training and have to get Tommy John surgery. Right, you'd There's have no, no guarantee. Idea. So for so for them to not go after it like they wanted to win this season, they better hope that doesn't come back to bite them. But look at from management's point of view now, it's like, well, the fans didn't seem to care. They were just happy that we were here too. They gave us a standing ovation after we lost to the Dodgers. Well, and that's dangerous too. Another thing, that, that you talk about this in business because with Liberty Media, that's what the Braves are. They're a part of their business. They're, there's no you know, ownership to where they're like a Mark Cuban or an Arthur Blank that can get emotionally invested and therefore emotionally spend money. You don't have that. No, it's just a faceless ownership. Yes, so they're a line item in Liberty Media's budget. And so here's one possibility that might be somewhat dangerous here. You talk about this because there was an episode of The Office one time (laughs) where they realized that there was a surplus in their budget. And if they didn't spend it by the end of business that day then the that means that the budget for the next year would be smaller because they were able to operate within that budget. So if Liberty Media looks at the Braves and they're like, man, they did pretty good and their payroll's not that high, maybe we need to reduce it a little bit because they've shown that they can operate within a smaller budget. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying when you're a business asset and not a baseball team. Well, yeah, Liberty Media is beholden. They've got shareholders. and right. they're I mean, they're... Liberty Media is out there to turn a profit, and so if they have this, you know, this entity that is under their their wing there, like the Braves, then they don't need that bleeding money. And whether the Braves win the World Series or not is a hundred percent irrelevant to Liberty Media. They don't care. No, I mean it's not like the days when you had Ted and Jane sitting there watching the game. That's what I'm saying. There was an actual owner that you could like complain to and yell at, like you, the Falcons have with Arthur Blank. That's what I'm saying. So if you're a Braves fan, you know, there's always the worry about Liberty Media and what they're going to do. And look, the Braves have a lot coming off the books. If they don't reinvest every single penny of that and maybe a little more, they're not going to be a World Series contender. Yeah, right now what the the Braves are really into or Liberty Media is into is, a, I mean, Atlanta, when you look at that whole battery over there where SunTrust Park is now, I mean, basically what the Braves are, they're landlords. And they've got all these different restaurants and shops that are their tenants. And that's what the that's the business they're in now. 
That's the business they're in more than being a Major League Baseball team is they're a landlord of the battery. Right. And they're just, you know, reaping all the benefits from that. Absolutely. So, again, with the battery, because the Braves do have a terrible TV contract, and that's their own fault, but with the battery, they're making record revenues. And you've got to hope that Liberty Media allows them to reinvest that back into the team because they need it. You know, I don't know if they're they're, look, they're not going to be a player for Machado. I think Harper is probably unlikely as well, but he seems more likely than Machado because you have heard some chirps from maybe people putting it out there that Harper would be intrigued by playing for the Braves because of the youth and because they're a team that looks like they're set up very well for the future. Yeah, it is. You know, it's a it, it's kind of a conundrum sitting here thinking of like, well, I mean, the Braves issues more still pitching than hitting. But then again, but you look at the numbers. Scored, I mean, the Red Sox won a game sixteen to one the other night. the The Astros won thirteen to two or something like that. Well, I was going to say they they scored no runs in the first two games You've of the got uh, to put series. Runs up. So maybe, maybe you know they you know would could they have another bat with that uh, with that help? But also, but that seems just, to be the trend where baseball is going. Offense is, is is it more of a premium, and teams are putting more money into offense. Well, I mean, yeah. again, you look at these. Well, you're starting I mean, to s- the Dodgers hit more home runs this season than any team in history. Yeah, they had eight guys that hit over twenty. But you're also, yeah, you're starting to see these teams. You know, like what Cleveland has done, where they've got a starting pitcher and like, hey, give me five, and then we got Miller, and then we got, you know, then the guy in the bullpen mm-hmm. too, in the back end of it. Yeah. So I mean, there's different ways to to skin a cat, sure. But I just think you've got to add a bat. You definitely need a front line starter. And if Kimbrel is your big offseason oh, acquisition. Oh, God. Did you see him the, last night? Well, the problem with that they were is. Up 4-1. Why have a closer if you're not going to be able to put him in situations where he can get saves? And, and if the Braves go after and spend big money on him, there might not be a whole lot of opportunity to give him the chances to get the saves in the first place because other teams may club them to death or, or other teams might be able to hit off their pitching. The Braves are a good baseball team. I don't want it to seem like I'm poo pooing the Braves. But I'm calling ownership and Alex Anthopoulos to task. It's like, okay, the Braves are good. Go make them better. Yeah, I mean, now you see what, you know, when we look at these teams and look at the series with the Dodgers, and I mean, there are definitely areas the Braves can get, uh, can improve, but the future is still. It is bright. Um, you know, bright. And the one, the one good game from that series, it was like, it was basically like a microcosm of the season. Acuna and Freeman were the stars, mm-hmm. and then we all held our breath when the bullpen came in to, uh, to, to seal the deal. And look, Ronald Acuna, when he had that grand slam, I was like pretty much my dad's only kid that wasn't at that game. And um, my older brother took a Snapchat, and he got it. Like he got, he was Snapchatting Acuna. He got the home run and the crowd reaction and everything. That's about as nuts of a crowd for an Atlanta Braves game as I maybe have ever seen yeah. on that ball. No, it was out. awesome. Yeah. For him, because really, when you think back on this season for the Braves, I like he's going to be the first thing you always remember. Well, like, the injury at, in Boston when he went over the bag and he was out for a little bit, it looked like it was going to be way worse, but it ended up being okay. The uh, Urania thing. Well, yeah, but just hitting all those leadoff home runs. Right. And, yeah, like when you think like 2018 Braves, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, that was the year like Ronald. That was the year of Ronnie, yeah. no doubt. And he is the future. There's no question about it. All right, last but not least – uh, just really quickly here, we've got Red Sox and Astros in the ALCS, and we've got Brewers and Dodgers in the NLCS. It's like, wait, the Brewers are in the NLCS and the Astros are in the ALCS? Yes, that is a thing. Um, and you know what? I've I've been saying this all year, the way the Red Sox have been playing, they're going to win the World Series. So uh, I think Houston does have really good pitching. It's going to be crazy because Houston has a good offensive lineup. And the Red Sox have good pitching. But for the Red Sox, it's the lineup. And for the Astros, it's the starting rotation. So 
which one's going to give. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox are just going to have to hang on in the uh, those David Price starts, though, if they even decide to pitch. I don't see how they could pitch him again in October. Oh, he's been but, abysmal. Yeah, I mean, he was terrible the other day against the Yankees. Last year, he just pitched out of the bullpen. They didn't even bother to start him. The team he's been on has never won a postseason game he started. Right. I, I think, think it's that's 13 I think that might even be true in college when he was in Vanderbilt. Oh, boy. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, the play- baseball playoffs, it's like, well, you know, it's a crapshoot, anything can happen, you just got to get a ticket to the dance, and the the four better teams all won their series and all clinched their series on the on their opponent's home mm-hmm. field. Are we, so, going, uh, are we going Dodgers and Red Sox in the World Series? That's, I mean, that's like what I'd be rooting for. I, I don't that's what see- MLB's rooting yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, you don't see Brewers and, and Astros, to be honest with you. Well, I was so. thinking about that the other day, like, okay, so the ALCS could have been Boston, it is Boston and Houston, which are like two big markets and the defending World Series champ versus, you know, Boston Red Sox. They have crazy fans. The NLCS could have been Atlanta and Milwaukee. MLB would not have liked that for the ratings. I'll no, tell you that. The, the pressure's definitely on the Dodgers, though, because the Dodgers are the team. This is the sixth straight year they've been in the playoffs. And when you looked at the NL postseason, it was like Rockies, Brewers, Braves. The Dodgers are the team that really need to make the World Series. No doubt. All right, that'll wrap things up for this edition of the crossover. We'll reconvene next week after a Georgia football win in Baton Rouge. That's right. I said it. Georgia's going to win. And uh, we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about uh, Georgia kind of heading into the bye week. We'll hit some other stuff as well. He's Brain. I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been another edition of the crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.